Revelation chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to, we're real, we come to verse 7, I'm going to read the chapter and then we'll go back, we'll look at it together. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. They had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne there were four King James says beasts, that gives the wrong impression. The, the word John used was living ones. There were four living ones full of eyes before and behind. I try to imagine what that looked like. And the first living one was like a lion. It wasn't a lion. It was like a lion. And the second living one was like a calf. And the third living one had the face as a man. And the fourth living one was like a flying eagle. And the four living ones had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those living ones give glory and honor and thanks to him, that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and the twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, and thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure, your translation might say, for thy will, for thy pleasure they are and they were created. So we have this remarkable scene brought before us. And I think, you know, what a time, the importance of that now, as we look at the world around us disintegrating, you know, militarily, economically, politically, the, the pandemic, the determination to close churches and keep bars and liquor stores and cannabis distribution centers open. You know, you, you almost every day you get tired of it. It goes on and on. And we're in this paradigm shift. Things have changed. I don't know if we'll ever see what we think is normal again. But in the midst of what John was living through, Caesar, Domitian, was on the throne. 
Christians were being burned at the stake as torches in his garden. Christians were being thrown to lions and tigers. They were being martyred. Um, there was persecution. There was the Colosseum busy with the deaths of Christians. Uh, you know, John was kind of living through a world that was completely antagonistic to his Lord and his Savior and his calling. And God takes him to this place that is far above all of that. Now look, what he's saying and what you and I need to see is there is a throne. There is one. He does is not up for election every four years. He's not a Republican or a Democrat. There is one, it says, on the throne. And he is there forever and forever. It is unchanging. And there's so many present tenses through here. It means it's happening right now. Right now there are lightnings and thunderings and voices. Happening right now as we're here. Uh, there are seven torches, literally, not lamps, blazing around that throne. Right now that's happening. When it describes the cherubim, it says the one is, is like a flying eagle. It says it's like an eagle presently flying. There's motion. You know, so as we go through this, realize we're here today. You know, it's wonderful to gather. It's wonderful to study God's word. But he would have us embrace something you know, the blessed hope of the church, something that's beyond this world, because, you know, our senses are, are constantly assaulted by everything that's on the horizontal. And, and it's getting discouraging on the horizontal. But there is something on the vertical, our destiny, our calling. It's unchanging. And the Lord saw fit that we should live at such a time as this. And we're passing through on this pilgrimage to these scenes that we're looking at. And the Lord said there's a blessing for those who read and hear and keep these things. And he said very specific things because he wants them before the hearts of his people. We have been looking at, as we come to this scene, these... Four living ones. Verse 7 gives us more of a description. In verse 6 it says, Round about the throne were four living ones full of eyes before and behind. Now, it doesn't mean they're omniscient. Only God is all-knowing. But they're full of eyes. The idea is whatever is under their jurisdiction is completely apparent to them. There's no oversight on their part. And it says the first of these living ones was like a lion. Let's say it was a lion. It says it was lion-like. There was something that was like a lion. The second living one was like a calf. I think um, Ezekiel seeing the same thing says like an ox. It was, it was ox-like, calf-like. The third living one had the face, notice this, as a man. doesn't say it was a man, as a man. And the fourth living one was like, wasn't a flying eagle, but it was like, and the idea is an eagle that was presently flying as he saw it. 
So as we look at this scene, we want to distinguish between angels and these living ones. These are the cherubim. We'll talk about that. They're not angels. In chapter 7, verse 11, the angels and the four living ones and the elders all fall down on worship. They're distinguished. Angels are different. Uh, there are principalities and powers in heaven. And the angels, there's orders. Michael, the archangel, is the head of all the angels. It's always a definite article through the Bible. The archangel. There's no angel higher than Michael. Gabriel seems to be in charge of birth announcements. We meet him in a number of places. He has an honored occupation in the scripture. And then there are the seraphim in Isaiah chapter 6 described over the throne of God. It says they also have six wings, but it says with two they cover their face. So Isaiah doesn't see their face. They differ with two, they cover their feet. Ezekiel tells us the feet of the cherubim are like the, like hooves or like calves' feet. So the seraphim seem to be different. They're only mentioned there where the cherubim are mentioned throughout the scripture. Uh, the first time that we meet the cherubim is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. It tells us there that God drove... Adam and Eve out of the garden after they had sinned. You have to imagine that. It, it, there's, there's great passion there. He drove them out, which means they didn't want to leave. He knew they had to go. There's a lot of emotion there. He drove the man and his wife out of Eden. And it says, and then he placed there at the way to the tree of life a cherubim with a flaming sword to guard the way to the tree of life what does that mean it isn't just to guard the tree of life it's to guard the way to the tree of life the tree of life is spoken of to the revel the the church at ephesus god's going to let them eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of god it isn't that there is an access to the tree of life, but there is a way to that tree that these cherubim had jurisdiction and guard over. We see that as we meet them through the scripture in both the tabernacle and the temple. It says they were built after a pattern of things in heaven. And the cherubim were woven on the veil, but they were also on the mercy seat. And it said they stood there with their wings touching over the mercy seat which is the place where the blood was poured out, the blood of the lamb once a year. That was the way to the tree of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So God in the Old Testament is often spoken of as the God that dwelleth between the cherubim. So that we meet them. You know, John's trying to describe something here in human language that surpasses that. Whatever theological training we have, whatever our IQ may be, and the human mind is a terrible thing to waste, and we should all have our own systematic theology and study, but there are things there that here that surpass all of that, that we embrace, that they resonate with us, because inside we have a spirit that cries, Abba, Father, there is something in regeneration that transcends this present world with all of our natural abilities. 
And as we look at Ezekiel, he describes them in chapter 1 and in chapter 10. In chapter 10, verses 20 to 22, Ezekiel said, I, these are the creatures I saw at the river Chebar, and I knew, verse 22, chapter 10 of Ezekiel, I knew they were the cherubim. In chapter 1, he describes them and said each of the cherubim had the four faces, that they each had the face uh, of a lion, the face of an ox, the face of a man, and the face of an eagle. He describes all four of them having four faces. Here, the description seems to be uh, of the four of them each having a face. Is that because John is standing in a certain vantage point looking and he sees those four faces? Did each cherubim have the other faces also, but he saw the ones that were facing him? I don't know. I don't know. It says the seraphim have six wings. It says these cherubim have six wings. It says in Ezekiel they had four wings. Why? I don't know. You get to heaven and talk to John and Ezekiel and say, yo, guys, what's the deal, you know? Here it says they were full of eyes before and behind and within. Um, Ezekiel tells us that, that the eyes were all around them like a wheel within a wheel. He describes it differently. What is that like? I don't know. The cherubim that are here, are they standing still or are they in motion like the ones in Ezekiel? I don't know. It says that the one was like like the face of an eagle in motion, flying. So we don't know. But these seem to be the highest order of heavenly beings. Now, we're the only ones that are creating God's image and likeness. Okay? But of heavenly created beings, they seem to be the highest order. And what we need to think about is that in Ezekiel... 28, I'll read it. He describes there Lucifer, Satan. He says, before his fall, he says, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. And he describes Lucifer in Eden in his unfallen state. So there was no... You know, Baho and Toho, there's no this previous creation that was blasted. No, no. Paul tells the Romans, sin entered through Adam, entered in. And so Lucifer, we have a description of him in his unfallen state in Eden, the Garden of God. And somewhere in there, Isaiah 14 takes place. He says, Thou hast been in Eden, the Garden of God, every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes. So they were involved in worship. People try to tell us angels can't sing. You can't prove that in the Bible. Often the word praise and song is the same and is ascribed to man and angels. He says, It was founded in thee, the workmanship of thy tabrets and thy pipes was prepared in thee, Listen to this. In the day that thou wast created, listen, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. 
Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created until iniquity was found in thee. So Lucifer, Satan, was of the order of the cherubim. He was one of the cherubs. Before he fell were there five faces around the throne. There were no reptiles mentioned in those faces. Maybe he had a snake. I don't know. But, you know, but, but what that tells us is that the present world is ruled and driven by the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world, who is a fallen cherub. He is a fallen cherub. That's why there's so much antagonism in the world against the exclusivity of Christ. There's only one way to be saved. Against biblical morality. Against creation, the constant pushing of evolution. That's why there's a present trend, let's shut down the churches and keep the bars open. That's why this spirit of antichrist is building in the world, because the prince of this world is a fallen cherub, and he hates everything in this scene we were looking at today, where the other cherubim are still there, where the Almighty is. There's nothing, there's no might down here. He's the Almighty, and all of the worship is taking place there, and he's excluded. He's excluded. So he goes after humankind, image bearers. The very love of God's heart. Interesting as we look at this, so you look around and you think men are following a fallen cherub and his influence in this world. It says here in verse 8, it says, And the four living ones had each of them six wings about him, they were, again, full of eyes within. John, help us a bit, would you? Before they were before and behind, now they're full of eyes within. i never seen a lion or a man or an ox full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is, is and is to come. So it says here that their song or their praise is relative to th three things, the cherubim. God's holiness, God's omnipotence, he's almighty, and God's eternality. He's the life forever. One was and is and is to come. It says they rest not day and night. Now that's that's metaphoric as you read that, uh, because we're told in Revelation 22 at the throne of God there is no night there. Uh, your more critical Greek scholars will tell you this description is a picture of something that's unceasing. It's not related to chronological time, because what we find through the Book of Revelation we'll find the cherubim involved in some other things. John will say, and one of the cherubim said this, or one of the cherubs did that. What it's saying, though, in their, their 
their station around the throne of God, they are unceasing in their worship. Unceasing. And they, they sing about three things. One is God's holiness. Look, through the scripture, Genesis Revelation, you do a study of the character of God, and the preeminent thing all the way through the Bible is that God is holy. Here they sing holy, holy, holy. Is that because of the Father and of the Son of the Spirit? Is it because he was and he is and he is to come? We have beautiful triplets here. Holy, holy, holy which means he's separate, he's distinct. They sing this. They fall down in front of him. Lord, there's no one like you. He created all things. He created the cherubim, and they know that. And when they look up at him, and there's no redundancy. You know, there's no, you know, law of diminishing returns here. It's not like, well, we've been singing this for eternity. Can't we sing something else, you know? There's none of that. It says our inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, it fades not away. Every time they look at the one on the throne, there is a fresh holy, 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 like it had never been said before. He is ever distinct. You know, he his life is not derived. He's eternal. His life never started. It's not derived like you and I. It says it says these cherubim who would give us a heart attack if we saw one. They look up and when they they look at him, holy, holy, holy. God is distinct. God is separate. You see all of the nonsense going on in the world today. There is a throne, and the one who occupies that throne is distinct and separate from everything else. There is only the creator and the creation that makes him holy. There is only God and that which is not God. That's his holiness, his distinctness, his separateness. Holy, holy, holy. Then they sing, Lord God Almighty, the one who is omnipotent. He alone. There's no might on earth. People are fighting for it. People are always after money and power. That's what all is going on around us. That's what everything's about. Because men are being driven by a fallen cherub. But there's only one who's almighty. He's in heaven. He's on the throne. That's important for us to understand as we move into chapter 6 through 22. That the one who is sovereign and almighty. Everything's under control. Things in our world may look out of control. Nothing's out of control. Everything is on schedule, and everything, whether it likes it or not, is submitted to this throne where the Lord God Almighty has his position. And then they say this God Almighty, who's holy, was and is, and literally, and is the coming one. Present tense, he's coming. Aren't you glad he's coming? We get to be part of that. It's interesting in chapter 1, verse 4, when he's described, he's described as the one who is and was and is to come because it's talking about his presence, the one who is. That's the emphasis, was and is to come. 
Here it's talking about his eternality. So the order is changed to the one who was and is and is to come. And, you know, because he is the one who was and is and is to come, that's how he can say to you and I, you're justified, sanctified, and glorified. Because he sees us from all three positions. And he's the coming one. And all that comes in the book of Revelation and all that comes afterwards, the new heavens and new earth, the holy city, it's all attached to the coming one. This is not coming. This is departing. This present world is the departing one. He's the coming one. And I'm so thankful that we have that hope. Look, I can't imagine living in this present world without Jesus, without a Bible. I can't imagine losing a loved one as an unbeliever. You go straight from to the bar from there? Where do you go from there? Well, I remember when my dad died, I, I watched him take his last breath, and I thought, if I wasn't a believer, it was five in the morning, I'd go right to the bar. I'd find one open somewhere. What does, it, what, what does an unbeliever do with this? But we have the one who was and the one who is and the one who is to come, and our lives are embraced by that one. So this description... These cherubim, these living ones around his throne. And then look at verse 9, and it says, And when those living ones give glory and honor, and notice this, thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders. So verse 9 is kind of when, verse 10 is then. Verse 9 is when this happens, verse 10 says then this happens. When they do that, then the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and they worship him that liveth forever and forever, and they cast their crowns before the throne. Now look, um, worship. Our English word worship uh, comes from two words, worth-ship. It means to ascribe worth. So we have the word worship from two English words, worth-ship. It's not just singing songs. It's falling down before. It's a heart attitude. And it says here, when these four living ones ascribe those things to him, then... The 24 elders who are representative of the church. You need to know this. There's order here. Okay? I have this book and it's just on the songs of Revelation. And when they sing their song, the cherubim, then we fall down and do our deal. I don't want to see any of you standing. I understand there's order in heaven. When God has everything under control, he's sovereign, he's almighty. The way it works there is when this happens, then this happens. Every, you know, you look at some worship services on earth, it's like pandemonium. It's not like there's no order. Here there's order. When the cherubim do this, then the elders do this. And, you, and all through, we're going to find this in several places, 19, 4, 11, 16 different places in chapter 5. There's order. It's beautiful. 
God is ordered. He's the creator. You know, he's the redeemer. There's order. It isn't like in heaven, there's worshiping, all this is going on, and somebody stands up and says, yeah, praise the Lord, I know this is what's going on. And everybody in heaven stops and goes, uh, you know, just, don't you do that there. Don't you tell anybody you're from Calvary Chapel if you act like there, okay? Sometimes we have to put some of those fires out. They're well-intentioned, and they're good, and that's cool. And I like to hear an amen once in a while, but in heaven there's order. And it's the perfect worship. It says, and when those living ones, isn't this interesting? They give glory and honor and thanks. The cherubim give thanks to the one on the throne because they know they wouldn't exist if he hadn't created them. Without him, they're non-existent. God is the one who lives forever and ever. So his life is not derived he created the time-space continuum. Before there was time, there was God. He's self-existing. They give thanks to him because they wouldn't exist if he hadn't created them. So it says, when they give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, that at that point, the four and twenty elders fall down. Take note of that, please. That'll be our cue. They fall down before him that sat on the throne and they worship him. They, they ascribe worth to him that liveth forever and forever. And as they do that, they cast their crowns before the throne saying, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. So, when, when the cherubim do what they do, then we all go down. Isn't it interesting? It says the 24 elders are, are seated in 24 seats. It's the same word, thrones. They're lesser thrones. They're subordinate thrones. But when this process takes place, they fall down off their thrones. They cast their crowns at his feet because they know we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Their crowns, which are Stephanos, not the royal diadems like Jesus had, are only on their heads because of what he accomplished for them in creation and redemption. It is nothing for them at this point to cast these crowns before him. Look, when you read through Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it talks about our crown of rejoicing. Paul speaking to the saints and said, are you not our crown of rejoicing? In uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 8, uh, Paul's ready to, to, to give up his life and be poured out. And he said, there's waiting for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord shall give to all of those who love his appearing. Do you, are, uh, I'm hoping you're loving his appearing. Are you looking for that? Anybody here? Can't wait to get the heck out of here. Love is appearing. It says there's a crown of righteousness given to those who love his appearing. James chapter 1, verse 12, it says... That if we resist temptation, there's a crown of life given to us. First Peter chapter 5, verse 4, talking about those who are serving the Lord, that there's a crown of glory to be offered. And then twice in Revelation, uh, the first two chapters 2 and 3, again, it talks about a crown of life. The idea is there's rewards. But look, They don't hesitate at all to fall off their throne 
to worship the one on the throne. Are we willing to fall off our thrones today? Too often, you know, we are completely engaged in the horizontal. There's a lot of aggravation there. A lot of aggravation there. And sometime the only way we're going to have peace with the horizontal if we're willing to fall off our thrones. Are we willing to cast our crowns today at his feet? Or do we think we have rights? Look, I'm talking to you about something I wrestle with. Don't sit there and look like you don't know what I'm talking about. You're made of the same stuff I'm made of. You know, today I think, Lord, let me, let me, you know, there's times, you know, when I would do something bad. And it's in me. Help me, Lord, then to fall off my throne. You know. I have a hard time in traffic sometimes. <laughs> and people will pull out and have the front of their car out, and I, have, I think in the millennium, I want to be in charge of cutting off the front of cars that do that. Have God give me this machine, just hacks the front of cars off, so I don't have to, you know. That's not going to happen. It's just my flesh. But my point is, at that point, I should be willing to fall off my throne or my driver's seat, and, uh, and cast my crown at his feet. They don't hesitate because they know they'd have no throne. They'd have no crown. They'd have no, we wouldn't be joint heirs with Christ if it wasn't for his work and his bloodshed and his love and his salvation. It would be nothing. You think of your, the friends in this room. You think of the people you know and love. I think of the the guys I get to serve with. I would not have known any of them if it wasn't for Christ. It wasn't for the blood of Jesus. Our paths would never have crossed. I'm sure if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, a number of us would be dead or incarcerated. And when we look at him, we see him face to face. And the cherubim, which are closer to the throne, they go down. That's our cue. Then everybody goes down. Right? Then everybody goes down. Learn it so, you you know, I'll feel good if you're listening. If I see you standing, I'll say, Lord, that wasn't irregular. They came, you know. They weren't there for chapter 4. Then we go down. And then we say, Thou art worthy. Learn the song now. O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Lord, it's all yours. For, here's what they realize, Thou hast created all things. And and for Thy pleasure, now yours might say, By Thy will, Here it says, for thy pleasure they are and were created. All of creation is what makes him holy. He's the creator. He is not part of creation. He's eternal because he's the creator of time. His being in his life is not derived from anything else. And it says, you and I at that point in time fall down and we ascribe to him, thou art worthy. 
to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things. No evolutionist in heaven. Wonderful, huh? You know, in the animal kingdom, there's no evolutionists down here. I feel so bad for the monkeys these days because they've got to tell their kids they're not from us. No matter what they say in the schools, we never treat each other the way they do. We never do to our kids what they do to their kids. Don't listen to it when you hear that. They didn't come from us, you know. All things are created for his pleasure. You understand your purpose in life. The reason you're here today and the reason you're alive is for his pleasure. That can grate on us a little bit because of our fallen nature and our pride. It doesn't say all things were created for his ego. You know that? You don't deal with that. All things were created for his pleasure. Thelema, it can be translated will. The first time you find it in the New Testament, when the Lord's teaching us a prayer, he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will, thy thelema, be done. That's the first time that word is used in the New Testament. The last time it's used in the New Testament is here, chapter 4, verse 11. All things were created, certainly by his will. But thelema has the expression sometimes of something that's visceral, of pathos, of feeling. And I think that's the intent here, my personal opinion, that we are created for his pleasure. And again, that can grade against our pride. Oh, that's the only reason I'm alive for his pleasure. Yeah, yeah, it is. Your problem is, my problem is, we need to take a step back and think about, well, what is his pleasure? Is it just for him to control everybody, have them fall down in front? No, no. What is his pleasure? We watch him create man. As you're going through the days of creation, again, you see him in Genesis chapter 1. You know, he does this, and then at the end of the day, he said, and it was good, or it was very good. And you start to get the sense. Well, he's expecting Adam. He, he's looking forward. He's not thinking, man, these, I'm so glad I made fruit trees, these Georgia peaches, long before Georgia ever comes around. This, they're so sweet. No, what he's thinking is, this is good. Wait till Adam bites into one of these. This will blow his mind. And then it says, he makes man the sixth day, the first full day of man's existence is the seventh day, and he walks with God in the cool of the day. First day is a day of fellowship. That's God's pleasure. That's God's pleasure. We know that because the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world, that you and I might be here today and be there forever. That's his pleasure. Fellowship. When he tries to describe his relationship to us as humans, he uses what's called anthropomorphic human pictures. Now, if he says he's our shepherd, we're his sheep. We appreciate Psalm 23, but very few of us here have raised sheep. I've eaten a number of them, but I haven't raised, you know. But then he says that he's the groom and the church is the bride. Now we understand that. That's a little hotter than husband and wife. Groom and bride. You know, I have a bride. I've got a license for her and everything. It's legal. 
But I didn't marry her. The Westminster Catechism says that the purpose of man is to glorify God and serve him. I agree that should happen. But the pleasure of God... You know, I didn't marry my wife to serve me. You can ask her. Uh, you know, I didn't say, okay, babe. You know, well, do you love me? Of course I do. I said it on the day we get married. Don't ask me again. Now you take care of things. I didn't have her to glorify me. It's not like I come home from work. Oh, honey, glorify you, praise you. No, that, that doesn't happen. You know, the, the, you have a wife and there's intimacy. Emotionally, physically, there's, there's something in that. Children. He gives us the picture of father and children. You know, you don't have kids to serve you. You know, it's not like, you know, honey, I was watching Joanna out front the other day. She's five now. She's helping cut the lawn. If we have three or four more, I don't have to go out there anymore. They'll take care of the lawn. And one of them was helping paint in the dining room. Just get up four paintbrushes and let them take care of it. You know, no, you let them paint. I remember when they were kids. For them, not for the room, not for you, because then you got to go back. They get tired in 10 minutes of painting, but then you got to go back and fix up everything. And that's how I feel as a pastor. I'm a little kid with a paintbrush, and God's got to patch up what I do every week, you know. And, and, he, and he lets us do it. I didn't have kids to serve, and wonderfully they do. I, I didn't have kids to give me glory. Again, same, I didn't come home from work, and the kids are, praise you, Daddy, we're glad you're home. No, no. There's an intimacy. There's a relationship. There's the groom watching the bride walk down the aisle on that day. There's the father looking into the face of his children. The word thelema here, pleasure, involves more than just his will. Jesus said to one of the scribes, that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's from Jehovah. This is the greatest commandment I can give you. Love me. Love me with all of your being. That's what he wants. His pleasure is intimacy with human beings. Wonderfully, John will tell us that we love him because he first loved us. It's to the degree that we see what he's done on our behalf that our hearts are moved as we grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is this scene in heaven. The cherubim, we sing about it. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. All the earth shall praise thy name, and earth and sky and sea. We sing about it. All the saints adore thee. Casting down their golden crowns upon the glassy sea. We sing about it. Cherubim, seraphim, falling down before thee. Which word and art and evermore shall be. We sing about it. It's from here. It's from this. This is what's going on now. Our, our attention, and I understand mine too, is so pulled on the horizontal, sometimes we lose track of the vertical. And yet God puts these remarkable things in front of our hearts and minds and says, dwell on this, embrace this, understand this. That's what he wants for us today in this COVID crazy world. There's a peace that passes understanding. 
There's a destiny. There's something that's to take hold of our hearts. And on the throne of the entire universe, where the cherubim fall down before this one, where all of the elders fall down, there is one seated there who is all mighty, and you exist for his pleasure. And it's the pleasure that a groom feels when he sees his bride. It's the pleasure that a father feels when he looks into the face of his son or his daughter. That's your purpose. His pleasure. And it's hard for us to embrace that now because everything is going on around us. But this scene is real. A lot of these things are happening right now as we're sitting here. And pretty soon, we'll be there. You can help some of the people from other denominations. Now, fall down now. You know, you can you give them some directions that, you know, okay, now you're okay. Now watch this. This is what's going to happen. You know, just the Calvary people will be a big help up there. So let's stand. Let's pray. Please read ahead. Now, we're going to read here that he's worthy. As we get into the next chapter, it says, no man was found worthy. In heaven, on the earth, on the earth. that takes a lot of pressure off of us. You ain't the one. I know for years you thought you're the one that had to be worthy. You ain't worthy. It's wonderful. Heaven knows that. Read ahead. No chapter break when John wrote. Father, we thank you for these things as we look at them. Lord, we lift our hearts before you. And this is so much, Lord, to there's there's no natural filter to take all of this in. But certainly there is in our hearts, certainly... By your spirit, you say, you make these things real to us, Lord. Though I had not seen, ear had not heard, neither has it entered in the heart of man. The things that you prepared, Lord, for those who love you, but, Lord, they're real to us by your spirit. So here, today, Lord, this week, this season, with all of the difficulty around us, Lord, give us those moments to sit with you and grow in the fact that our life, brings you pleasure. We feel like failure so much of the time, Lord. Help us remember that you're the one who was and is and is to come. So you call us justified, sanctified, and glorified. And it's your pleasure. Father, we look to you and we pray, Father, in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.